Hello, I'm Regina Botras and welcome backstage where we talk with theatre makers from actors, directors, writers, theatre heads and beyond. And my guest backstage in this podcast is designer Elizabeth Gadsby. She's directed an outstanding number of productions for STC. Some of them include Blackie Blackie Brown, The Rape of Lucretia, The Testament of Mary, Cloud Nine, Dinner, Cinderella for Belvoir Street Theatre, A Rabbit for Kim Jong-il, A Griffin, Cut, Adelaide Fringe, and it goes on and on and on. And that's just to name a few. She's designed for film and television and opera and She's here to talk to us about her life in the theatre, how she got to be there. And we will also, as I said, loved the uh, the set. I love the production of Appropriate and she designed that. Uh, welcome to Stages, Elizabeth. Thank you so much, Regina. So lovely to be here. Thanks for coming on. So before we talk about Appropriate or the actual art in designing for the stage, I want to get a little sense of how you came to be a designer in the first place. Where did you begin life first of all where did I begin life yeah um, did you grow up in a creative family is it something that yeah no gonna... actually I did it's funny you ask that so I was born in Sydney and grew up here and my mother's a primary school art teacher and my father's a graphic designer and my grandmother was a painter so it was very much um an accepted calling to go into the arts in some way shape or form and I loved both visual arts and also dramatic arts so I did a lot of acting in primary school and high school and university and yeah that's really where that came from just a love of a love of theatre and also a love of art and I wasn't 100% sure which direction I was going to go in so I went on a bit of a winding path. Do you do you ever think oh I wonder what would have happened if I pursued acting instead of art or no no because I think when I graduated from high school I decided to apply for NIDA as an actor and I decided to apply to the National Art School for Fine Art and I was accepted into the National Art School and I didn't get into NIDA and so that very much sent me on the visual arts trajectory mm-hmm. and I feel like I kind of came full circle and came back to theatre having practised as an artist and developed my visual communication skills in that way and suddenly realised that I could apply them to theatre and essentially marry those two loves. It's so hard to survive in the arts. How did you leap from arts into theatre? I mean, it seems like natural a natural progression, obviously, but was it was it natural? Well, one of the reasons why I started to think about retraining or going back to study more was because my arts practice, I was practising as an installation artist, which is oh. even harder. You can't pile oh. up installations under your bed and then eventually have a show and hopefully sell them. So I was supplementing my income with arts administration and also teaching students art in holiday programs and things like that and I really was feeling quite divided trying to support my practice with other other professions and so I was reflecting on whether or not to study education and kind of continue down the teaching path Mm. and then a friend suggested to me that I apply to NIDA for design and I kind of was like why hadn't I ever thought of this before and I think with NIDA, it's, you know, you, we have this idea that it's such a difficult place to get into and it's a difficult course to get through. But I was a little bit older in my life at that point in time. So I felt more confident to just really give it my best shot and work really hard while I was there. And I think that that definitely 
opened up a lot of opportunities for me. So did you, Nat, was it easy once you came through studying to work in the industry? It, it wasn't easy at first. Mm. There were I was doing a lot of assisting work, so I was right. assisting more established designers like Michael Scott Mitchell and Gabriella Tylesova. And um, I was doing that and other small, more independent projects. But I had worked with both Imara Savage and Kit mm -hmm. Williams whilst I was at NIDA on student productions. And so while I was there, I formed collaborative relationships with them that have really grown. And um, I suppose my career has grown with those relationships. They're hugely important, aren't they? And especially working, uh, the working environment. So how do you work in those sort of relationships? Because I imagine you're working closely with the director, you're working closely with the costume. How how does that process happen for you? And then when do you take the script? Well, it's very different depending on the director that you're working with. And I mm. think that when you've done quite a number of shows with someone, you do develop a shorthand and a way that you work best together. Imara and I tend to go for long walks and we talk about things a lot more wow. than we think. Okay. We find it really easy to process ideas and, and kind of churn through things conceptually together whilst walking. Um, <laughs> and Kip and I always sit and read the play together and we spend quite a lot of time doing that, really just dissecting it and reflecting on what different moments or different scenes mean to us or in our understanding of what we want the production to be or if he has a particular idea, my response to that idea or vice versa. Um, and the same actually for Appropriate with Wesley. We sat and we read the play over a couple of sessions together. I think it was maybe over two nights we read the, the script together and just talked about it because one of the things I find really important with that relationship is feeling like you have a very strong shared vision and shared mm -hmm. understanding of what you want to achieve with the script. Otherwise, it's very difficult to make decisions later on down the line when you're a little bit unsure of, oh, well, do you think this or what were we trying to achieve there? If you have that strong foundation, I find it much easier, particularly once everyone gets very busy in the rehearsal room. It sounds like it's quite the bones as well. Like you say, you can't. it's not like an actor where they can go, oh, actually, I'm going to change how I'm going to present that line or perform it or the director giving notes back. Once it's set, you kind yeah. of stuck is that right yeah, a little bit <laughs> unless you just go oh no let's just can it off there are moments where I think hmm was that the right decision but the thing is is that it is like what our in Australia at least what our um build um schedule is is that we would deliver the final design usually about two to three months before we go into rehearsals and that gives the company time to order materials so that they're not ordering whatever they can find at the last minute it's got mm -hmm. that lead time built into it so that things are more economical and can be done in a way spread out in terms of the build but when we're in rehearsals, obviously things do come up in the room and when the actors are discovering things and playing with the space. Mm. So we aim to have flexibility built into that. But with the set, like particularly a set like Appropriate, which is a very large plantation house, um, there's not a lot of room for things to change because it's architectural. So things do become very concrete once that final design has been done and then I start 
I really start detailing it and I continue detailing it in the first weeks of rehearsals. Um, and so I have a little bit of room to respond with the set, but the flexibility more comes in terms of the costume design and also the props and the way that the actors interact with the set dressing and the props in the mm. space. Was that a particularly challenging production appropriate like you say it's a large plantation house what a beautiful set as well and so large scale was it does that I mean I imagine there's so many challenges when when you're working with something like that yeah it's um it's big like it would yeah. be it's a house it was the real proportions of a house chopped in half and put into a theater um and it was interesting it difficult but it has different difficulties so it's funny because I think I was talking to someone the other day about it and I think with a, a naturalistic set of that type mm. you can really see all of the work that's gone into it because it is naturalism so you can see the level of detail you can see the amount of stuff you can see the height of the walls you can kind of see in front of you all of those decisions and choices that had to be made whereas with a set that's more minimal or abstract in its nature most of those things are unseen and so often you'll look at one of those sets and go oh yeah so it's a black space or you know you kind of go well that that didn't take much work but I think it's a different kind of work because you have to be conceptually very rigorous you're agonizing much more over what is the meaning of this if there's only five objects in the whole entire show they have to be absolutely precise and perfect and mean the right thing or feel the right way or have the right weight whereas in a naturalistic space you can kind of go, oh, well, that would definitely live in this world. It doesn't have to be that exact object, but if mm. I can fill the space with the right kind of objects, it provides that richness and naturalism and detail that will support the performance. So in a way, it's a different kind of work. So can you give me an example of something that is more abstract that you've worked with and what kind of, sim I guess, it's symbolism you're working with, the, those sort of choices? Yeah, so... The last show that I did with Kip and the last show I did at STC before the pandemic, <laughs> before the thing that we will not name, was Lord of the Flies. And on the outset it was like, oh, okay, that's a theatre space and then stuff happens inside it. And the thing with that set was we had to create really specific rules about it because it was a theatre space, but we really wanted the theatre space to start to come to life in response to the telling of the story. And it was really about how the more we tell ourselves stories, the more real they become. And so this sense of the act of storytelling brings something to life and also reinforces it in our minds and in our um sense of experience we yeah. believe it to be real mm. and so we really had to track how that theatre started to slip from just actors on road cases rolling around the space to suddenly one of them could pick up an axe and smash through the theatre floor and all of a sudden you're like oh hang on a second the theatre th floor is not meant to be able to be smashed mm. or the way that the lights then started to create landscape for them to move through Theatre lights don't normally create, do those kinds of things. It's so, so we really had to track very carefully the logic of 
how the space responded to the performers and how we went deeper into the story mm. and also the objects in that space that weren't abstract. So, for example, with Lord of the Flies, one of the most significant objects is the conch and it held, yes. holds such significance to the characters that we were like, well, it can't just be a shoe that they pick up and pretend to be blowing. Mm. We want that to be rendered as real as possible. And so Mia ended up learning how to play a conch rather than it just being something that she mimed. And so it's kind of those logical decisions that you need to make when it comes to a more abstract set and the rules that you want to set and then how and when you want to break them. They were very clever decisions, uh, the Lord of the Flies set and those things. I guess I, I wonder sometimes if you pick up a play and you go, oh, no, there are like 20 different locations. Like those two that we mentioned, like the Plantation House and Lord of the Flies is pretty much one sort of location. Oh. That, <laughs> what do you do? Do you go, oh, no, or yay, or <laughs> what has been the most challenging, I suppose, too? They're all, like every time you look at a play, they have their own challenges. I mean, in, in some ways, as I was saying, with appropriate it was quite like in some ways it was straightforward because you would go, okay, well, it's a house. Yeah. Well, I know what a house looks like and I can do research into the um, Greek revival period, which was around at the, at the turn of the century from the 18th to the 19th century in the States and all of the meaning that that has because it was built at a time of the height of slavery and mm. all of those things that kind of lend itself to the meaning of the play but you can still um you kind of it's funny like sometimes I'd be like but then what does a window do because I'm not an architect so I'm constantly going and when a sill hits the frame what does that look like or what does this specific architectural detail look like because there was that um you know, we wanted it to feel theatrical because it was speaking to a tradition of theatre that was like really old theatre. You know, the work itself, appropriate, is referencing all of these great American plays from the oh, canon. Yeah. And so in the same way, we wanted the set to feel like a very kind of traditional theatre set. We had a painted backdrop. There were full ceilings. There was a chandelier, you know, like everything that you would expect from a big old house in a very kind of traditional theatrical way. Have you ever come to at odds with, a, you know, you're talking about the importance of the vision. Have you ever felt like, no, you really wanted to fight for something? Um, not, well, when I want to fight for something, I just fight for it. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't mean I necessarily win. win. <laughs> but most of the time if I am working with someone particularly who I have developed a really strong relationship with and we have developed the concept together mm. if I really say no it really needs to be this because of this and this reason yeah. then most of the time they would say oh yes I see what you're saying mm. or there are a lot of things where a director might say oh well, I think it should be that and I'm like oh yeah okay I can see that and I am quite flexible but then there are some things where I just it's almost like if it butts up against the logic that we've created I just kind of have to say that doesn't make sense to mm, me that it mm. would be like that um and I think it's I think the challenge is more when you are working with someone who you can't find that common ground with that's when it becomes difficult in that working relationship if you don't have that if you can't develop that foundation and that shared vision from the beginning 
then as you go on, it becomes quite difficult because you're not sure of the decisions. And you're like, well, I feel like we would go for this object. And then they go, oh, why would it be that? And you think, hmm, okay, this is a problem. We don't have the same vision and it takes a lot more work to try and realise the design in that Mm. situation. Mm. Is there a production you're particularly proud of? I mean, you must be proud of all of them, those that we've talked about so far, but or or maybe the most challenging for you and then therefore you kind of solved so many questions. (laughs) I don't know. I think probably one of the most challenging productions that I've ever done, but also I I, I think as a result I was probably proud of it is one I did quite early on with Imara for Sydney Chamber Opera called Fly Away Peter. And we had this idea to clad the entire structure in clay, in a clay slurry and let it dry out. But then parts of it would be reactivated with water by the the cast. And so it was this huge stepped pyramid shape in Bay 20 at Carriage Works and it was El Nina and the rain was torrential and Carriage Works was flooding and the clay wouldn't dry and we had heaters and fans try to dry out this clay and we had to make the decision after two nights when we really needed the cast to be on stage but it wasn't safe for them because it was so slippery that we had to pull all of the clay out of the theatre. So we dug and I think it was something like three tonnes of clay. It was a wow. lot of clay. And we dug it out of the theatre overnight, over a series of nights, and then clad the structure in kind of something that's a little bit similar to concrete. So it looked like clay, and then we changed the blocking so the clay was in buckets. But Imara had just had a baby, so she was going home at about two in the morning and breastfeeding, and we were both covered in this concrete stuff. And every time we have a difficulty with a show, we'd look at each other and we'd say, it's not as bad as Fly Away, Peter. Like, we're not there yet. It's not as challenging as that show was. Wow. That that was one that I think when we finally opened, we felt a great sense of relief. (laughs) I can imagine that's really the things that go on backstage that the audience sitting there watching to have no idea about. Yes. There's always like there's always something on almost every production. There's a strange curveball and everyone goes, what? Like, <laughs> who would have thought that would happen? You know, like once I think a um, glitter box, we installed it for Sydney Festival. It was this installation work and it had mirrored glass, but the, well, it was mirrored perspex that was slightly warping, but because it was on a roof in the sun, it was warping, but it was refracting the beam of the sun and it started burning oh. the, <laughs> the furniture <laughs> and the astroturf around it. <laughs> and we suddenly were like, what's happening? And we realised and quickly threw covers over the top of the box wow. so that it would stop setting, setting things on fire. Incredible. So what are you working on now? Well, I have a little bit of a break from theatre, I'm currently I'm doing a residency at the Sydney Observatory. Wow. I'm developing a work, an audiovisual installation with a composition by Jane Sheldon on historical accounts of women's perspective of witnessing solar eclipses. Sorry, that was a very roundabout way of saying that. So we're wow. using the residency to be able to access the museum's collection on their resources to do with solar eclipse and we're developing a work which will hopefully be kind of like an audio 
installation work where you can enter a space and hear the composition that Jane has created and or is creating now and um, kind of experience the kind of the feeling maybe of what it might be to witness an eclipse. Oh, sounds fantastic. And that will be at the observatory? No, at the moment it's just in development. So it's yeah. through their Artist in Residence program and it's really just time to develop the idea further okay. and then we'll see where it goes from that point. <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, well, and then they go into um, seven stages of grieving at Sydney Theatre Company. Oh, I can't wait. Can't wait to see that again. Elizabeth Gatsby, thank you so much for joining me. It's been so fun delving into the stage craft and the, the art of the world that you create. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Well, that was designer Elizabeth Gadsby, and she has designed Appropriate, which is playing at Sydney Theatre Company at the moment. Ah, magnificent stage and such surprises. So get along if you can to see it. 